This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we talk about some weird things around here, don't we? I admit we have some rather unorthodox approaches to stuff. However, I think a lot of what we're doing here is becoming more mainstream all the time. Or at least, a lot of this stuff is getting more consideration than it has in the past. Back in 2015, we talked about the idea of substrate enrichment in botanical-style aquariums. In other words, adding botanical materials to the more traditional substrates of sand, etc. Now, at first glance, this idea seems rather normal in many respects. I mean, planted aquarium enthusiasts have been adding various supplements to their substrates for decades with the intention of providing beneficial trace elements and nutrients for plants. Yet, we're talking about enriching the substrate for the purpose of providing tannins, humic substances, and nutrition for microbial and crustacean life forms that could reside in the substrate, and then for the fishes that feed upon them, not primarily for aquatic plants. When you examine the substrates found in many natural habitats, they often appear to be a mixture of a variety of materials, including sands, sediments, muds, clays, and botanical materials like leaves and stuff. These materials not only look different, they function in unique ways, not only influencing the water chemistry, but the biology and ecology of the aquatic systems as well. Now, in nature, there are numerous factors which contribute to the composition of substrates in the wild aquatic habitats, including geology, the flow velocities of the body of water, the surrounding topography, seasonal variations in water level, and accumulation of materials from their surrounding terrestrial environment. And nature utilizes almost everything at our disposal in order to create and maintain aquatic ecosystems. So why do we as hobbyists who want to create the most realistic approximations of wild habitats possible just sort of mail it in when it comes to the substrate? I mean, just open a bag of whatever sand and call it a day and move on to the more exciting parts of our tank. I think we just rely on the commercially available stuff and that's that. Now, in defense of the manufacturers of sands and gravels for, you know, aquarium use, I love what they do and what they have available. These items are generally of excellent quality, provide a wide range of choices for a variety of applications and are readily available. However, in my humble opinion, they're a great starting point for creating more dynamic substrates for our aquariums. Kind of like tomato purees to pasta sauce, a beginning. Sure, you can use just the puree and enjoy it as your sauce, but isn't it always a little better to add a little bit of this and that and build on the base to create something better? Like, totally. Damn, it's 7 o'clock here in L.A., and I'm already craving penne. What the hell? Anyway, that in a nutshell is my theory of aquarium substrates. We can do a little bit better. And, of course, we will do better with the literally the imminent first release of our nature-based substrate line. It's days away now. Okay, back to the wild for just a second. Let's look at how natural substrates form. Now, in many of the tropical regions that we admire so much, the basic substrate is often referred to as simply fine white sand in most scientific papers, typically, but not necessarily, a silica of some sort. And of course, other locations have slightly larger grain sizes of other pulverized stones and such. Still others are comprised of sediments which watch down from higher elevations during seasonal rains, summer peat. Deep rivers will typically have different substrate compositions than, say, marginal streams or floodplain lakes or even flooded forests. 
In the Amazon region, a huge percentage of the sediment and materials which comprise the substrates are from the Andes Mountains, where they are transported down into the lower elevations by water flow. This has a huge foundational impact on the chemistry of the waters in the region. This process builds the fertile floodplain soils along the Andean tributaries and the main stem of the Amazon. There's a whole science around aquatic substrates and their morphology, formation, and accumulation. I don't pretend to know an iota about this stuff other than skimming marine biology and hydrology books and papers from time to time. However, merely exploring the information available on the tropical aquatic habitats that we love so much, even looking long and hard at some of the good underwater pics of them, can give you some amazing ideas. First off, in some areas, particularly streams which run through rainforests and such, the substrates are often simply a terrestrial soil of some sort. We've talked about this before. A finer, darker colored sediment or soil is not uncommon. The water chemistry, indeed black water itself, is based largely on the ionic, mineral, and physical concentrations of terrestrial materials that are dissolved into the water. And the degree to which these materials disperse into the aquatic environments varies based on water velocities, time of year, and other factors, as we just said. Meandering lowland rivers maintain their sediment loads by continually resuspending and depositing materials within the channels. It's a key point when we consider how these materials remain in the aquatic ecosystems. Okay, I can go on and on with my amateur, highly unscientific review of the substrates in Amazonia and elsewhere, but yeah, I get the idea. There's more to substrate materials found in nature than just sand. That's the biggest takeaway here. So as hobbyists, we have more options and inspiration to draw upon to create really more compelling functional substrates in our aquariums. I've talked about this for years, I know, but it still excites me. What this means to us, taking into account the pasta sauce analogy, of course, is that we should consider mixing other materials into our basic aquarium sands. For example, you could mix aquatic plant soils into your sand. You could experiment with materials like clay or other mineral you know, or plant-based components of varying particle sizes, like crunched up bits of botanicals and roots and twigs and stuff like that. Obviously, your substrate will look a lot different than the typical aquarium substrate when you start mixing materials. Your overall aquarium will, too. And that's a good thing, in my humble opinion. I played around with this a lot in my office brackish water mangrove aquarium a couple of years back, where the substrate played an absolutely integral functional role in the aquarium as well as an aesthetic one. And I came up with some crazy stuff, and I loved it. If you start with one of our soon-to-be-released sedimented substrates, which already are intended to mimic the look and characteristics of natural aquatic substrates, you're already a little ahead of the curve. However, you can apply this idea to just about any substrate, even ours. A combination of finely crushed leaves, bits of botanicals, small twigs, etc., etc., can form the basis for a more biologically active and even productive substrate. As these materials break down, they're colonized by fungi and biofilms, and they impart tannin, lignin, and other sources of carbon into the water to fuel a variety of microbial growth. And of course, larger crustaceans and even fishes will consume the organisms which live in this little matrix, as well as possibly consuming some of the detritus from the decomposing leaves and botanicals themselves. It's a very different looking and functioning substrate, for sure. <laughs> At the risk of sounding too commercial here, suffice it to say we have a whole damn section on our site called Substrate Additives for the very purpose of facilitating such these geeky experiments. That stuff is that interesting to me. It's wide open for lots of experimentation, evolutions, and even breakthroughs. Look to nature again. Now, of course, you're running an aquarium, not managing a stretch of open wild river or stream. Duh! But the dynamics of closed systems are a bit different. However, the forces of nature and her laws will always apply to us, and it's up to us aquarists to make the effort to understand them and work with them instead of against them. You won't see a pristine substrate. Rather, you'll see the usual suspects, biofilms, fungal growths, decomposing materials, and the accumulation of some detritus. 
That's the stuff you want, in my opinion. And if you apply some of the other ideas that we talk about, such as pre-stocking with organisms like copepods, worms, crustaceans, paramecia, etc., you'll create a microhabitat teeming with life, one that'll have profound benefits for your aquarium overall. I know I've done this. A mix of materials of different sizes on the substrate creates that interstitial spaces that benefit many small organisms, functioning as protection and breeding areas. You might say that to some extent, an enriched or enhanced substrate functions as a sort of refugium, providing protection for many beneficial creatures to grow and multiply. You could create a bit of a mess if you're not too fastidious about the overall husbandry. You obviously don't want to overstock or overfeed, etc. Basic aquarium husbandry stuff. <laughs> husbandry stuff. Why do I always say husbandry? Anyway, <laughs> I get so excited. Yeah, it's entirely possible to create a smelly or anaerobic pile of shit on the bottom of your aquarium if you're lazy. And I said again, if you're lazy, if you can't get this stuff down, it's not that the idea doesn't work. It's that, quite honestly, and I say this with love, you suck. You suck because you're not making the effort to figure out how to make it work. It works. I don't care what the fucking books say. I don't care what the experts say. I've maintained sedimented substrates with all kinds of what you would call shit in them for decades. And I'm as, honestly, I think I'm as experienced as just about anybody out there that plays with this stuff. And my tanks don't crash. I don't have problems. It works. And it does work. And I think it's highly unlikely that if you follow the basic tenets of aquarium husbandry, you'll fail. Again, I've done this with probably for about 16 years without a single issue ever. And I've tried to push the limits beyond things you would ever do. And I know you're saying, great, Scott, another way to kill my fishes, courtesy of your weird ideas. And that's not the point. It's not really that weird. And it's really not that dangerous. Again, I just don't want some flat out beginner heading home from the local fish store with a brand new nano sized aquarium, complete with SpongeBob bubbling ornaments, purple gravel and 20, you know, neon tetras to go online, find our site, see some pics, buy an Enigma pack and dump 12 ounces of crushed leaves, three ounces of substrato fino and a bag of oak twigs into the gravel and expect some sort of miracles, you know? That's not how it works. You need to move forward with caution. We always talk about responsible experimentation and understanding. I think we've developed a pretty good resource here and there's resources elsewhere that you can study. Aquarium 101 stuff is available all over the place. But you don't need to be afraid of this. You simply need to observe very carefully, have reasonable expectations about what's gonna happen, and you have to accept an entirely different look that accompanies the function. Typically, when enriching your substrate with botanical materials, you'll see an initial surge of the biofilms and all that stuff, ultimately subsiding to a sort of a baseline, a little bit of stuff in, you know, in and among the substrate. Now, warning here again, it'll never look pristine or competition sterile. Get that idea out of your head immediately. That's only one standard for assessing what a healthy or successful substrate is. Your system will look much more, much more dynamic and altogether unique. Considering once again that, you know, when you incorporate decomposing botanical materials, not only are you adding to the biological load of the aquarium, you'll also be fostering the growth of beneficial microorganisms like bacteria. Could this lead to enhanced denitrification or even fermentation in deeper substrates, which enhance the overall water quality and affect the chemistry of the water? And what about its potential as a mulch of some sort for aquatic plant growth? It's interesting and exciting to ponder all these questions, right? And, you know, it's fun to use these potentially game-changing ideas and materials to utilize different things in your substrate in a variety of ways. It's all big fun. It's an incredible experiment. And it all starts with a few basic materials and become as rich and diverse as you care to make it. Again, can you screw up and kill some things? If you're not careful, if you don't follow basic aquarium rules, and by rules, I mean 
water, you know, maintaining water quality, etc. If you're aware of what you're doing, if you put some controls on it, you should be just fine. Will you have perfect results? I, no one can guarantee that. I'd be a fool to say that. Will you have fun? Absolutely. Yeah, pasta sauce. Indeed, right? So stay creative. Stay excited. Stay curious. Stay diligent. Stay thoughtful. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.